So one of the simplest analysis of our personhood in, in the Buddha uses is just called body, speech and mind. Kaya, body, vajji, speech, citta, mind. But because of the, as a translations, obviously, but so what I'm using for chitta is heart, basically because the chitta is not, by chitta is not meant the rational faculties so much as the effective, sensitive, emotive, impulsive um, experience, that which does that, the resonator, the creates impulses, drives, stores up memories and meanings, intuitive, and so forth. Can be inspirational, can be determined, patient, persevering, incisive, soft, tender, joyful, and so forth. Jitta. And then Vajji speech, and the Buddha says the uh, internal speech, thinking. So internal and external speech. So this is more what we normally call our mind. Intellect, the, the rational faculty, that which somehow synthesizes what's going on and produces concepts, says what it is, you know, best it can. Kind of makes something that's holistic and totally into something that's finite. You know, those feelings are just everywhere, aren't they? So you just kind of put it down to one particular thing, say, oh, I don't feel so good, or I feel happy, I feel sad, or whatever it is. Bonk. You actually specified and made it synthesize that experience, vajji. So, so these three faculties, and there are what's called patterning, or sankara, which means formations, fabrications. These are commonly used trans- words for it. It's very elusive word to get in English. Most of the words don't actually give as much of a feel for it, but it's both that which creates and that which is the result of what's been created. It's a pattern. You might say like your water carves a groove in the rock. Water carving the groove is Sankara. The groove that's carved is Sankara. Mm. So we might say habits or habituations particular patterns that get established as we establish them they become patterns which keep going bodily patterns, mental patterns or emotional patterns conceptual intellectual patterns yeah. Sankara and when we learn a new one first of all it's strange and weird and uncomfortable and then gradually it settles in and it becomes a new pattern yeah. so this is I'm using the word patterning for that And there are three of these, Kaya Sankara, Jitta Sankara, Vajji Sankara, relevant to those particular aspects of our personhood. And so these are, also, these are energetic, they're dynamic. You know, Sankara is a, is a dynamic experience. Sense of something is doing the patterning, something is forming a pattern. That's, that's, that's energetic, isn't it? It's dynamic, it's doing the forming. And something is formed. It means it actually holds and sustains energies, 
you know, it keeps forming in this particular way. When we really experience our lives as momentary, as changing, and yet somehow repeating themselves. Every morning wake up feeling more or less like me again. <laughs> and yet, you know, where's the me from yesterday? What, what? It's just running down the same old track, isn't it? So you've got something that sustains a pattern. So don't have to wake up every morning, figure out how to speak English, what my name is, how, and so forth. The whole thing is, is patterned in. How to operate a body. You know, how to clean my teeth, how to, and so forth. Don't have to do it all over again. Something is sustained. Could say it's it's impermanent in that it's continually sustained by a process of movement, and yet the process of movement occurs in a particular track. So there's both a sense of coherence, and yet it's also insubstantial. Rather like the blades of a fan spinning, it creates a sense of a solid disc. So it is that the continual movement of these energies in the in the same pattern creates a sense of a permanent entity, selfhood. So, and we need to remember the difference between selfhood and personhood. You know, personhood just means that this is coherent. You know, basically our body functions. Um, still emotionally not dysfunctional, still think straight. So these energies are coherent, they're functioning, that's a person. You know, and that has to be something that can be made beautiful, bright, vibrant, awakened, compassionate, strong, courageous, and so forth. Nothing wrong with that. That's what's supposed to be happening. And you realize that selfhood is, is, is somewhat different. Selfhood is when it's all kind of cramped, where you're not allowing the patterns to develop and shift. They're just frozen. They're frozen with fear or shame, or regret, or confusions of one kind. So they're kind of locked. We don't dare. We don't explore. We don't question. We don't investigate. We don't exercise the personhood. We just let it stagnate into a, into a pattern, stagnant pattern. This is like stagnant water. It's stale, and it goes lifeless. That's what the selfhood bit is about it's about a particular inability to to allow for the miraculous to allow for the change and this is not just uh, inability through lack of will it's an inability through through uh, uh, absence of capacity you know <coughs> it means that there's a particular raw resource that's required in order to to allow or to to keep the system changing and live and vibrant. You know. So when you're an infant, it's all there, everything's green. You know, you're still fluid and flexible, you're shifting and changing all the time. As you grow up, you gradually kind of ossify, harden, stiffen, become socialized. You know. And then something happens in the body too. The body does the same sort of thing. So we exercise the body to keep it, you know, to try and to sustain its suppleness. You can do that for so long. Um, and then, but on the 
subtle level, you're exercising the, 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 the sankhara tendencies, these energ- energetic forms, rather than the coarse forms. And that's the key of meditation. It's not just doing things like physical exercise in an obvious way, but actually the subtle, you could say the subtle yoga of breathing in and out. Mm. And the Buddha is very clear on this. He says, Kaya Sankara is breathing in, breathing out. The bodily formation, the body patterning is breathing in and breathing out. You keep that alive. You keep it vibrant. And it will, it will, it's the basic resource to allow everything else to shift and change. When your psychologies harden up, when your emotions freeze up, when you panic, when one gets frightened or resentful or, or stuck in something other, breathing in and breathing out is something you can always do. You know. Extend it, develop it, so it becomes something you have greater capacity for, to feel the fullness of that. So first, uh, the teachings on mindfulness of breathing occur in these, what are called the four tetrads, and the first of these deals very much with the bodily aspect of, of breathing. The second deals with the emotive, affective aspect of it, breathing, the third deals more with the pure knowing uh, of that, and the fourth deals with the kind of processes that the knowing brings around, which is called insight, which means the reviewing, the uh, considering, the reflecting, and what we do with that. First aspect, breathing in, breathing out, you know, and uh, you know, it says you, first you know you're breathing in. You know you, you've pajanati, which means you're fully aware of it. It's not just thinking it. It's actually fully um, sensitive to pajana, which is related to sampajana, which means a kind of full, aware, sensing, dwelling in, <coughs> expanding the feeling aspect over the over the breathing expanding the feeling of the breathing into the breathing how do you know you're breathing what's it feel like these are the two primary questions it was rope doesn't feel like much okay you know it doesn't feel like much and then well then you try and looking for what's the more most fullest most comfortable way you can experience that and trying to allow that to deepen because the movement that is towards breathing in long, letting it be as long and full and complete, breathing in short, letting it be as subtle and refined, delicate. The two, as you find the fullness, the breath tends to kind of flood and then it begins to quieten down. It goes to a much subtler level. And then thoroughly aware of the whole body, breathing in, breathing out. And then sensitive to calming the bodily energy, kaya sankara, the bodily patterning, tranquilizing it, making it more serene, the bodily patterning, kaya sankara. 
So that when we say Kaya Sankara is breathing in and breathing out, bodily patterning is breathing in and breathing out, this is a very important reference because uh, how you sense yourself in a, on a kind of, in a way of presence, an embodied present here, is dependent upon breath energy. Take a really long, deep breath, fill yourself up completely, you feel the body kind of expand and swell and tingle, then breathe out completely, you feel the, that, that. So if you do it consciously, you get a real sense of how that is very much um, conditioning your experience of embodiment. And this is happening all the time on a subtler level. Quietly, quieter level than that. But just to begin to see that's what's meant. And the whole body senses that. It does affect the whole body. Now, sometimes when we've, say, picked up a technique such as focusing on the tip of the nostrils for breathing in and breathing out. And, you know, you approach it from that particular angle, which has its uses. Then you get kind of stymied at how you're supposed to do that through your whole body, since you, you can't, you know, your breath apparently doesn't go in through your fingers, it goes up your nose. Yeah, so then, you, then what tends to happen is people will then try to wangle this, the, the teachings around, well, when it says the whole body, it means the whole body of the breath. You know, such as you feel the entire span of the inhalation, the air. But you wonder, well, why didn't the Buddha say that then? I mean, surely that you're supposed to be a great teacher. Why did he say the whole body rather than the whole body of the breath? I mean, is it <laughs> it's not that difficult to say. But he doesn't say, he says the whole body. So you can't really square that so easily with just focusing on your nostrils. So, so you know, you think, well, how do you want to live your life? You know. I found a great deal of frustration with that, trying to focus up on my nostrils, particularly if I had a cold and I couldn't actually get much breathing going. So it's kind of screwed up feeling. And, um, you know, counting the breathing and trying to get it right there, and it's kind of tight, screwed up feeling in my head. <coughs> and uh, all the sen- always the sense of trying to, trying to get to that point, trying to find that point. So there's a whole sort of mood of tension arises. You know, it's much easier to be mindful of breathing when I stop being mindful of it. (laughs) So so then after a while I thought, well, you know, it doesn't actually say this in the the scriptures anyway, so I want to just cancel it altogether and be daring, just breathe and feel what actually happens as I breathe in and breathe out. Well, you know, then I could, you could sense 
range of things. First was the, for my mind, the most obvious thing is the purely physical. That is, you can feel some swelling in the body, the breath, the belly, and the chest. Actually, sit in a good posture. Then that makes complete sense. The sitting posture makes complete sense. So that which enables the breathing to occur properly. Whereas if you're just focusing on the nostrils, then what happens below your chin doesn't really matter much. Your posture goes all kind of saggy because you're trying to get it up here. But then if you actually see, you know, you want to work towards the whole body feeling the breath, you've got to get the whole body available. So then the sitting posture makes a lot more sense to actually, you know, sit so that your abdomen is open. You're not resting on it, resting your ribs on it. Use the bones to support the body from the hips, from the sacrum upwards, lengthen, stretch the spine. Let the chest come, rib cage rest on the bones and not on on the organs. So that all this soft stuff, the viscera, is kind of left loose, and you get actually a swelling flow, suddenly everything comes alive down there. When the center of the back spine is, is held in, so the ch- your chest opens up, the spurt point between your tips of your shoulder blades is, is firmly attended to, supported, chest opens up, suddenly the whole chest area comes alive. A sense of expansion when you breathe in. Shoulders drop back. And you tight, bring your neck back from being kind of sagging with your head on, sagging over. Bring your head back and open your neck up. Suddenly your throat comes alive. You can feel it pulsing there. And then when that lot gets going, this kind of energy starts moving. And then you actually... Breathing in and breathing out regularly, you, you can feel it coming up into your head. The whole body comes alive. As it comes alive, you realize, you know, with all that amount of, of energy happening, you need to have a channel for it. So breathing in, breathing out helps to just regulate, steady it, smooth it. And it's true that there is the, there's the bright, invigorating, Breathing in and then the soothing and relaxing, diffusing, breathing out. Without getting too refined, is that so? The <coughs> physical aspects of it, the respiratory aspects of it, the energetic aspects of it, the three, three layers of it, and they support each other. If your body's straight and upright, then you breathe deep, breathing happens deeply, breathing happens deeply, your energy moves shifts, comes alive. Energy comes alive. If you're more present, attuned, vibrant. Present. Mm-hmm. And when what happens? This isn't always such comforting news. As we come fully into to bodily presence and the body opens up and resonates, then you begin, one begins to feel the heart qualities. Mm. Because the two are essentially not separate. 
when the when there's real presence in this in this particular process, you're just opening the energies up. They're not supporting the heart on terms of external contact, sight, sounds, touches, yeah. which normally are what we we feed upon. Pleasurable, interesting, useful, or even bad, but something that the heart is connected to to get some resonance going. You know, other people, conversations to get some sort of resonance happening, otherwise life is just so stark and bleak and barren. But the Buddha is saying, well, this is this is Kaya Viveka. Kaya Viveka means solitude, bodily solitude. We're actually sitting in our aloneness. <coughs> Which is, sounds awful, you know, so bleak and barren. But what happens if you sit in your aloneness with chaos, when the body energy is vibrant, it's almost overpowering. It's not, you know, because <laughs> you, as you, you come into that, the heart starts to tune into all that rather than the external sense contact. And then the, the matters of sankhara of jitta sankara arise because these sankaras are also they're not just current energy forms they're also the habits the patterns that are established by those energy forms and the patterns of the heart that have been established have fear in them they have rage in them they have hurt in them they have grief in them they have despair in them they have joy, they have wanting, they have yearning, they have disappointment in them, they have confusion in them, they have a sense of help, I'm, you know, stuck in them, they have all these kinds of things in them. As well as our aspirations, thank goodness, and our loving kindness, and our gratitude, and our courage, and all these lovely qualities. So, you know, Jitta Sankara is not necessarily all such good news. Because when you're coming into Kavi Veka, that is this sense of physical separation, not uh, bonding to, to sense contact then the heart has to attune to its own patterning, its own residues. And the stuck stuff is the stuff that's stuck, which means it has this kind of uh, uh, unswallowed quality to it. Some of it feels really old, weary. Some of it feels like can't do anything about this. Because it's it's that's the nature of the whole stuck resonance, you know. It's like constipation of the heart over things we haven't been able to digest or bear with. So it's just kind of wadged there. And when you the nature of the heart when it resonates with something unpleasant, it starts resonating and resonating and resonating, and it builds up. And we then the, we can create all kinds of what gets created, all kinds of um, interpretations of that. And the fundamental lock on the door is I am. This is what I am. 
I am one of these. I am the person who can't. I am the person who doesn't. I am the person who's not allowed to. I am the person that you click. The key is turned in the lock. There you go. Patterning is is there. And there's something so um, uh, awesome about that is that the self-view inclines so much towards having a stable pattern to know who I am that something that just keeps going back to this old stuck stuff and resting on that rather than the daring to break the lock you know so even though we find ourselves frustrated by ourselves somehow we still something keeps going back to being that and you get this sense of a kind of impotence I can't do anything about this. I, you know, this is the way I am. That's the way I just got to live with it. I'm never going to be able to lock, turn the key, chuck the key away. Next lifetime, maybe. <laughs> you know, that's that's the that's the fearfulness of chitta. That's the that's the that's what we're with. That's the danger of chitta. You, can, <coughs> you know. And once it locks that door with selfhood, this is what I am, aspects of our personhood get denied. Our humour, our warmth, our courage, our resilience, our daring, our exuberance, our willingness kind of shuts down. This is a real challenge on a retreat for meditators there's so much emphasis we can pick up from around us about routine and stable and loyal and traditional and obedient and orderly and polite and restrained you know which are all, can have very positive effects, you know, in terms of channeling and handling and stabilizing and main, making us, keeping us present rather than, but they can also have this incredible negative effect, making us stuffed, stumped, trapped. So if you don't come through that, you either you know die in in this, you kind of, you dies in this, or you get out. <laughs> and both of those are, 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 to my mind, both of those are, you know, who am I to judge? But I don't want to do either of those personally. I don't want to die in this. I don't want to go become some dead icon. Just mouthing Pali phrases. But also, I do love the purity and the nobility and the clarity, friendship, the beautiful things that occur in this through this particular channel and form. 
you know, so certainly, you know, one can kind of imagine doing all kinds of things, the monastic forms and traditions and so on. But the point is what gives them their quality is the fact they don't shift around a lot. That's what gives them that particular sense of stability as a kind of firm reference, you know. They don't, you don't keep shifting it every year or two in a different form, you know. It stays like this. It kind of shifts gradually the way that just putting pressure on something gradually bends it. But it wouldn't be any good if it was just kind of like paper or putty. It wouldn't have this essential quality of actually holding and steadying and giving you a reference. It's a resilient thing. Hmm? So the, how do you, what do you bring around the change? You bring around the change internally. Breathing into the, the dead areas. Breathing into the no-go areas. Breathing into the, into the resentment or the tiredness or the, you know, feeling it, where is it in your body? The, you know, sometimes we don't even realize it's there until you begin to feel across your, your throat or your chest or your belly or somewhere. What's that? I mean, I feel a bit sort of work steamed up about something or the other. You know, it, it doesn't, because you're just awake, because these, sometimes these areas close down, then these emotional resonances also shut down. So the two go together. Bringing yourself into the body starts to open up the kaya sankara, starts to open up the chitta sankara, the mental pattern, the emotional patterning, the effective patterning. The mental pattern, the emotional patterning, you know, we could say there are kind of various simple colours in that. Pleasure, pain, neutral. That which pleases me, you know. So there's two, two kind of responses to that, in my experience, very simply speaking. Pleasing me, one is I consume it, the other is I look after it, you know. So it could be either of those. It pleases me, I, I look after it, I love it, I care for it, or I consume it. When I think about it, actually, I think, oh, looking after it's better than consuming it, really, isn't it? <laughs> so now that's, because uh, you consume it, it's gone. Could I look after the pleasant, care for it, be warm-hearted towards it, never, never eat it up, but just let it be there, not as a source of my appetite, but a source of my compassion and concern. Could I regard myself in this way and others in that way? That which is pleasing. That which is painful. I could fight it, bash it, destroy it, kill it, that which displeases me. Or I could learn to protect myself from it, ward it off. So this is compassion. Restraint, passion, protecting myself and others from that which is painful. Now there is the, the neutral. Mm. Neutral, I can either dismiss it, 
or just rest upon it. We try to create this hall in a way that is relatively color neutral, sort of slightly biscuit walls, gray floor, brown, you know, just kind of with not much stuff going on in it. Sometimes Buddhist temples are full of Buddha rupas and images and flowers and stuff like that and hangings and things, which is one way of doing it, kind of liven it all up, give you some something to rejoice in. But also, but also, we can, I find using a place just as something you can just kind of rest in. It's one simple white image. And it gives you a feeling of tonally quiet, quiet and down. Now we can, of course, just not notice it at all, which is neutral. Leave it external. There are different capacities to do that. Sometimes that, that neutrality is, is, a, is a, the worst of the lot. Our ability to just be indifferent and ignore things. So in a tonally quiet life, which the monastic form presents, whether it feels like that or not, it basically presents a sense of just day in, day out, breathing in, breathing out, morning chanting, evening chanting, meal at this time, rice, potatoes, beans, you know, same old people, shaved heads, same old robes, same old brown-coloured robes, brown-coloured mind, brown-coloured tea, brown-coloured rice, <laughs> with a flash of grey occasionally to brighten it up. You know, you think, oh God, I'm dead. But it's not, you know, so then you can just kind of look for something more pleasant or enjoyable, but the idea is just to kind of rest upon it, taking the feeling of something that is just restful. <coughs> the problem is that, that this, this capacity for neutrality can become something we develop just as a way of ignoring things. You leave things external, lose resonance. You lose resonance with that which is neutral. The neutral resonance is the most difficult one in some ways because you'd, you'd bother with it. You know, let's go and look at a grey wall together and have some fun. Yeah, well. Rather than listen to jazz, you know. Let's look at, listen to a great look at a grey wall and enjoy equanimity. Mm. So it's some of the most difficult some ways, but it's also the way in which sense, your sensitivity increases, your ability to be receptive increases around the, the kind of tonally subtle sensitive increases, increases, increases. But you actually take it in. Tendency can be just to, to leave everything out, out there. Boring. Why bother? Who cares? Something out there. Boom. So then we can end up, the whole of our life, monastic life, becomes something out there. You know, there's the form, there's the hall, there's, you know, it's all, I'm not really taking it in, it's just there it is. So <coughs> gradually, the more it becomes an external thing, we lose resonance with it, we don't pick up the qualities of it. The restfulness, the tonal sensitivity that's required. So you always want to keep your monastic forms 
so that we are applying quite a good bit of, of intelligence and sensitivity to kind of how you move, how you sit, how you use your sitting cloth. So you're really upgrading the ability to be attentive to details. You're picking up a greater tonal subtlety than the kind of blues and oranges of life. The beauty of that is you get a tranquility that's not dull, but, but subtler. So with the subtler energies, it can go deeper and further and more sustainable than the great, the great rushes and boosts which flash through the system and they're gone again. And you, well, where did that go? A few chakras burst into life for a moment and then futtered out again. <laughs> so this way you kind of keep those chakras all open, but a kind of you can sustain it because it's not just an explosive thing. There's a steadiness, and then really getting getting the whole sense of that. That's what breathing does. Breathing is pretty neutral. Breathing down into the base chakra. You know, this is not like sexual stimulation. It's got a bit more orange in it. This is just kind of tone neutrality moving through areas that we often find ourselves challenged with by their by their their power by their raw power or their their absence of it you know you're cut off stagnant you know inability particularly in a celibate life you know so it comes a kind of no-go area it shuts down or you shut it down around your belly and you close down the lower chakras then really you know it's the road to dullness and frustration. Open them up carelessly, and it's a it's a giddy ride. <laughs> but carefully breathing in, breathing out. There's a tonal neutrality. We're actually tuned, sensitive, and just keeping it quiet. Tuning to the simple kaya viveka, you know, separating into this presence. We're not looking to to have a sensual external counterpart for that and moving up the whole body and the feelings are kind of subtler and you can one can one can assimilate and integrate those energies this is the brahmacharya the beautiful life the blessed life The ability to feel power, which is the, to do with the, the solar plexus, the abdomen, where you feel the, something you can tighten up. If you're in a fighting, angry, tighten up there. How frightening that is to feel our violence. Totally, you know, something that's, when you're living a harmless life. How do, you, how do you deal with violence? This kind of raging energy. 
We breathe in and breathe out through it. That's how we deal with it. So we manage it. That's what we open it up. We breathe in and breathe out. It doesn't have to be something that's kind of bottled up. That it, the, so you breathe in and breathe out, and it diffuses and, and, and uh, gives you a greater sense of presence. If you can't feel that strength, that sense of this is me, this is mine, push off, you know, this is where I am, you don't feel that, then you don't get this sense of the uh, real unshakable presence. But it doesn't have to be something that's kind of antagonistic. Once you've integrated it, it's just a simple quietness. No, this is this is present. That may be good or bad or right or less, but this is present. Mm-hmm. That's present for you. But this is present for me. This, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have to fight around it. It's just this is it's authenticity with that. You want to be able to experience that. But so often in a kind of confused life, we haven't felt that sense of being given our power, being given our authenticity, being allowed it. So we have to rebel to find it. So you either rebel, you get out of this life, or you rebel within it. There's room for that. We can be within this, you know, in a, in, but feeling that sense of of uh, frustration, you know, <coughs> questioning, probing, finding our own limits with this, saying how far we're going to take this standard or that standard, you know, finding our independence within a form. It's not just to blur everybody into a kind of homogenous porridge of conformity. There's a sense of allowing for distinctions and separateness and people's individual authenticity to grow into it. It's like, you know, when the father does, the good father anyway, you know, my father was encouraged argument and argue, you know, find your own strength some. So he was a little kind of toddler. He'd say, come on. He'd hold his hand up and say, go on, give it a push, give it a push. Hold his hand up and say, give it, push it as hard as you can. Punch it, punch it. You know. Just, the, you know, and he'd kind of play like that, where you want that rough play, so you feel your own strength coming up. And it's no, no hatred in that. It's a very loving kind of uh, quality. Because I want you to feel strong. So push against me. But we don't, we're doing that with a sense of love and respect rather than hatred. Because actually it's asking us to find ourselves within this. And so a sense of respect. 
So when you you know taking it on a kind of subtle level, you really wrangle with some of these forms, Buddhist forms, breathing in and breathing out, question it, challenging. Are you breathing in? What's the good about this? Does it work? You know, what works for you? What about this anatta stuff then? <laughs> what about this anicca? Prove it. It's anicca. You know, and then you fight and you come to your power with it. And you realize, oh, that was just a mood. It was a Nietzsche. <laughs> impermanent. Don't give me this impermanent stuff. And then you have to feel that fully. You realize, oh, that was impermanent. That hatred of impermanence. <laughs> or whatever it is, you know. So you, you kind of challenge these things, question them. It gives you a vigor. The ability to the heart chakra, our ability to kind of feel things, to, to, to emotively resonate. Moving in, you sense sense of separation in that. So there's always, to my mind, every form of emotion, quality, sense that comes from being with others, is also as a tone of grief in it. This too will pass. It's, a, it's called a joy grief. The two are not separate. You know, we want the joy, we don't want the grief. But to me, they're the pretty much left and right hand are the same thing. Uh, because of the separateness, there's a sense of, oh, how marvelous it is that we're here. Because of that, there's the joy. Otherwise, it just becomes taken for granted, same old thing, ho hum. But because of that separateness, there's also a sense of suchness, presence, and you feel kind of tender towards that. You protect it, you look after it, you don't just consume it. Even a kind of monastic life, which can seem so, so kind of boringly stable, is actually, it can change. <laughs> it can suddenly become, you know, a madhouse of conflict and chaos and inner fractions and backbiting and sour feelings and people not cooperating. The whole thing is just, you know, fine-tuned and you get a few resonances run through the wrong way and it just goes out of whack altogether. So you can't just kind of consume it, like, this is supposed to look after me, you know, give me what I want, you can actually keep caring for it and tending it and looking after each other and, uh, you know, keep it bright. And there's a sense of real loving, which is not consuming, it's the loving of, of looking after, rather than the loving of, of taking everything in, you know, uh, uh, consuming it. So, breathing in, breathing out, filling up the chest, filling up the capacity to feel Feel for, feel for this body, feel for its rhythms and changes, mm. rather than expect it to be always just happy and swinging along. The body is one breath long. Take that breath away, finished.
There it is. Every morning looks like a big lump. It's been there every day for God knows how many years. But actually it's just as long as one breath. You cut that cord and it's finished. So you really kind of sense of the preciousness looking after it rather than just wasting it. And breathing in, breathing out really brings you into that because it is just a moment long. It's not even a whole inhalation, it's a whole series of little pulses and flushes and tingles. One of those goes and you're in trouble. Throat, breathing in and out through the throat, a sense of the expressive. Opening this area up. The posture, the full breathing opens the throat area up. So this particular stratum of experience often between the throat and the heart where you can't express feeling. You open it up, sort of energies shift and change and it's a sense perhaps of sometimes sadness or of relief or of a kind of mixture of both or of tenderness because suddenly it's air is moving in there and as this comes alive it's like energy able to move up into the into the head placed behind the bridge of the nose breathing in, breathing out the whole, that head feels like light and bright breathing in, breathing up to, to the crown of the head the third eye and the crown of the head see the whole bit the whole body feeling it all and all the emotional resonances that come along with that the breathing, the the presence, the kaya sankara, that pattern just is that which smooths it like stroking a cat or smoothing something out, you're not crushing it you're not slapping it around, just steadily running up and down that channel breathing in, breathing out, just whatever's there is smoothing it, stroking it, whatever's there, smoothing it, stroking it, whatever's there. Mm. You keep the whole thing open. So then with that there's a sense of of uh, gladness, relief, amazement, wonder, pity, rapture arises. This is there taking us into the second tetrad. Anapanasati. Rapture arises. Rapture doesn't arise if you haven't don't, if the resonance hasn't occurred. The resonance won't occur unless the the, the heart is the resonators are open. The resonators aren't op- won't open unless the body's open. It's kind of you know it's a simple thing like that. You can't get the resonance until the body energy is allowed to move. There's nothing to resonate. There's no capacity for it. You know, you can be crying out for it. Sometimes that's the case, isn't it? We're looking for something to get me going, something to talk to, something to, I can't, you know, watching my mind hit the wall. 
how long is this going to go on for? Someone gets a bit of <coughs> emotional resonance going with. You know? Is it so that then that there is that that need for that. But for medit for this kind of Kaivaka practice of put it setting yourself apart. You know, you've got to eventually, it's, it's asking you, look, if you're going to stay alive in this life, and you're going to, have, you're going to be doing this for good periods of it, you know, I mean, <laughs> you've got to get some resonance in this, otherwise you're stuck deeply into the kind of, you know, meditative jail, contemplative prison, where you're going to get a little peek through the bars every now and then when you have a chat with somebody or have a go out and do something more interesting you just got to eventually come back to this or get out and sometimes the resonances that come up you have to resonate with our frustration you just breathe in and breathe out the frustration feel where it feels stuck the bits of your body that feel stuck with that Attend to expand the feeling around that, expand the, the receptivity, expand the compassion, expand the sense of willingness to be with that around those 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 places in your body or in your heart, wherever it manifests. But I'm suggesting you, you keep the breath in mind because that's the patterning that will always stabilize it until you have a very secure refuge in terms of heart yeah. then the body is going to be your, your stabilizer your one that helps you to be really present with and stay open with stuff that your heart just always reacts to or proliferates around all the wrongs that have been done to me all the injustices, all the alonenesses I feel, I've always felt, always will feel, because nobody and I don't, and I can't, and so this kind of stuff goes on and on and on. I've heard it. My mind says that. And, you know, you've quite a little story in there. You know, 30 years of it, a story, story about all that. God, no, no, bullshit. You know? Living in this kind of privileged life, looked after, and yet mind can still feel it's that. So, and that's not the answer either. Just to feel negative about one's own complaining, but to sense how is it the complaining mind? How is it the, the resentful mind? Where has your body now? Can you be present with that? And after a while, you kind of listen to the stories. You okay? You know, opening your throat, opening your heart, breathing in and out through the throat, breathing out through the heart, breathing out through the belly, breathing out through the head, just to be present with that. And that's the, you know, and just let, let it blow through. Almost that repeated refrain, but it's not just the kind of slapdash attitude or philosophical nonchalance it's actually a skilled attunement to really be present with not just to be condoning or complacent or 
you know, or adopting it as a lifestyle of going along with, it's actually firmly upright, present with the madness of the mind, breathing it in, breathing it out. <laughs> 